0: John 21, verse 15 to 25, page 1090. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Very truly I'll tell you, when you were younger you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumour spread among the um, believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be
1: So you keep that open if you would. and Let's uh, say a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this book, uh, the book of John in the Bible. We thank you for this disciple who wrote down what he saw and heard and experienced so that others could know Jesus too. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us this morning by your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to understand the words on the page and that you would be speaking to us as we look at... uh, this uh, this section of John, this final section. Please speak uh, into our lives, into our circumstances. Uh, renew us, we pray. In your name, we pray. Amen. Amen. We will see a little tiny mini outline on the uh, service sheet, so if you get lost and I'm confusing, then hopefully that'll help. Um, but let me start with a question: What does it look like to succeed in the Christian life, as a Christian or as a church? if we're a really successful church, what will you point to to say, oh, look, we've really succeeded as a church? What should we be looking at and trying to measure as the measure of success? Have you worked it out from what we just read? Strikes with force, doesn't it, as you read this passage? As Jesus painstakingly and painfully restores Peter and recommissions Peter... He asks him a simple question, do you love me? Because mission successful is when people love Jesus, they love God. A successful church is a group of people who love Jesus and so keep his commandments, live his way, love each other deeply from the heart, which also makes it a great group of people to be part of, doesn't it, if we're doing that. So do you love Jesus? That's going to be the big issue we're focusing in on. It always has been the issue, always will be. We're joining Peter and the others, but particularly Peter with Jesus after breakfast, as Jesus has a one-to-one with him, but in full hearing of everybody else, I'm assuming. Breakfast is finished. Verse 15, Jesus turns to Peter and out of all the other disciples asks, Do you love me more than these? Now, if we've read the Gospel accounts, we know that Peter is someone who loves, he's passionate, he's impulsive, he jumps in, he wants to do the right thing. Jesus, before he's betrayed, uh, has this conversation with Peter where Peter confidently says, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. And that's the issue here. He's made those big boasts he put himself above the other disciples and claimed that he loved Jesus the most. But then not only did he desert Jesus like all the other disciples did, they ran away out of fear, he denied that he ever knew Jesus. And how do, how do you feel? When you've let someone down, the next time you see them, how do you feel in that moment? Shame, apprehensive, what are they going to say? How are they going to treat me? Will they forgive me? And Peter hadn't just failed a friend. He had, but hadn't just failed a friend. He'd failed Almighty God. But then who hasn't? You know, failure is something we've all got in common, isn't it? And it's awful if we've really failed. We really. Oh, you think, oh. It robs us of joy in life and in the Christian life. It blocks us just expressing ourselves, it blocks us praying, it dampens our enthusiasm to serve God and be part of his kingdom. Failure needs to be addressed and Peter, the failure, needed to be restored just like you and I will when we fail. So we're going to look through the way Jesus does it. Uh, Restoration, refocus and then recommissioning. Let's look at the restoration that Jesus brings about for Peter Uh, Did you spot that he asked him three times? Do you love me? Jesus would have known that that would have brought back the memories, wouldn't he? Peter denied Jesus three times. And there they were, sitting by another fire. Horribly reminiscent for Peter of the night that he so turned his back on Jesus. And three times he's questioned, one for each denial. And Jesus knows it'll hurt Peter. Peter. As indeed it does by verse 17. Peter was hurt and Jesus Jesus asked him the third time. He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And yet, I'm sure he got the point. Sermon, could you just slide me down just one little notch so that we don't get the uh, feedback? That would be so helpful. Thank you so much. But that's where Peter's at. Jesus exposes deliberately how he's failed because that's how restoration happens for us in the kingdom of God. You see, Jesus doesn't try and deal with sin by pretending it's not there. Let's just brush it on the carpet. Doesn't really matter, you know, you betrayed me, you, you, you denied me. Oh, well, let's, let's just forget about it. That's not how Jesus deals with sin in Peter's life or in your life or my life. He has to be brought out into the light and admitted... And then it can be forgiven. It's a bit like if you've got a, if you've got a cut or something and it's just going a bit Ugh, underneath the plaster. You might need to take the plaster off and expose it to the light and the air and then it begins to recover so it can heal. And that's what Jesus does with sin in Peter's life. That's what we need to do with sin in our lives. Jesus, uh, Peter's denial was public and so his reinstatement is also public with all the other disciples watching. And that means that Peter not only knows that his failure has been dealt with, but that all the others also know and that Peter is reinstated with a vital role for the future because, you see, failure is never the last word in the kingdom of God. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's dealing with Peter's failure, dealing with Peter's sin. Notice with you a little detail. Uh, Peter, uh, Jesus doesn't call him Peter in the conversation. Did you notice that? He calls him Simon, son of John, which is how he was known by everybody. Uh, was, well, it's how his dad, John, gave him the name, Simon. It was Jesus that renamed him Peter, because that means rock. But of course, in recent days, he hadn't been particularly rock-like at all, had he? He does though have a solid future because once he's restored, verse 19, Jesus is going to prepare him for a future which will mean suffering and in fact martyrdom. And I'm sure he stretched out his own hands to show him to Peter the nail marks that would one day be in Peter's hands as Peter was crucified for testifying that uh, Jesus was the son of God who'd risen from the dead. This though is restoration that's what we're focusing on first. Peter is back on board with the purposes of God. Restored, forgiven, set right, set straight. And you and I we are two when we have gone wrong, we've sinned, we've let Jesus down, we've let ourselves down, we've we've done something. But we admit it. We come before God. We bring it out into the light and we come in Jesus' name and we receive his forgiveness, then that restoration will apply to you and me too. Well, after restoration comes a refocus, a refocus on the thing that matters most, receiving God's love and then reflecting it in our lives. Uh, You may have heard what I gather is a a true story. Um, uh, You will almost certainly have heard it if you've been a member of this church uh, a few years because I've told it before here. It's a, a true story in, in Brazil uh, about a young girl called Christina who lived with her mum, Maria, in the countryside. And Christina desperately wanted to see the bright lights in the big city and she was sort of bored in the village. And, uh, you know, typical teenager. Uh, and uh, she was going on and on about it. And one day, uh, when it was time for school, Maria went to Christina's room and found she'd gone. There were clothes gone from the wardrobe a suitcase, and she realised what must have happened. Christina was nowhere to be found, and so Maria, quick as she could, um, got together her money and went down to the bus station and bought a ticket to go to Rio de De Janeiro, and she spent all her spare money uh, in the photo booth, taking little passport photos of herself. When she got to the city, she realised that... um, uh, stubbornness, stubborn determination plus no financial means mean that people will end up doing some fairly desperate things. And so she went to the less salubrious parts of the city. And she um, took these passport photos and she put them up in the bars and the clubs and the districts that, you know, you're going to for, um, un, uh, uh, for uh, not uh, good pleasures... And on the, end, the back of every photo, she wrote a little note. Once her money and the pictures ran out, Maria had to go home, weary and weeping, on the bus, the long journey back to her small village. It was a few weeks later that young Christina came down the stairs of one of the hotels she'd been in, her young face really tired, her, her, her eyes no longer dancing with youth, her laughter broken, her dream a nightmare. She reached the bottom of the stairs and saw a familiar face. Just a little photo on the uh, mirror in the hallway. A small picture of her mother. And her eyes burned with uh, uh, emotion, her throat tightened. She walked across the room and, and picked off the photograph. And on the back was written a compelling invitation... Whatever you've done, whatever you've become, come home. I love that story. It's a story not only of a love of a mother, but it's a story of the love of God for us, for the world, when we go wrong. That God comes himself in the person of his son, that God's own son dies at such cost as we'll remember when we have communion together his body broken, his blood shed so that we can come home whatever we've done, whatever we've become, that we can come home to God through Jesus. That's the love of God. It's to the uttermost to bring you and me back. He loves us. It's something that John, the author of this gospel, really understood about himself and so he writes the story of Jesus. He doesn't want to give himself too prominent a role and so if you look in verse 20, we've seen it before, he describes himself as, not John, but the one who Jesus loves. He wants to say, that's my identity, I've really crossed that. It's wonderful. And God, having loved us to the uttermost, what does he look for in response? He looks for us to learn to love in response which means Jesus question to Peter is not do you believe but do you love and i just think oh gosh that's a really helpful question for me as someone who thinks about the bible and tries to understand it yeah that's that's good and it might be for you too you think yeah yeah i kind of really understand it i really i do believe I say the creed and i really mean it yeah that's all good but do you love that's the question I need to ask myself. It's the foundation of Peter's future ministry. You see, if he loves anything else more than Jesus, if he loves his job as a, I'm Peter, super disciple, or um, Jesus is recommissioning, I've got a job to do, I love my job, I've got a lot of my position, I love the power. If he loves anything more than Jesus, he'll be a liability. Uh, by that fireside, uh, when, uh, Jesus, when he denied that he ever knew Jesus... He loved his own reputation more than Jesus, didn't he? Ultimately, he loved his life. He was probably quite fearful that he could be next. But if he's going to be able to carry out the mission Jesus has got for him for the future, he's got to love Jesus even more than his life. And so Jesus, as he refocuses Peter, wants to help him to see that and to draw out of him this confession of love that will strengthen him for the future to actually love Jesus when the chips are down and the pressure's really on. Well, how about you and me? Do we love Jesus? How will we know that? Well, it won't necessarily be what we feel when we're singing, although that might be a help. Jesus gives us a much clearer test. Earlier on in John, he says, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Okay, that's pretty simple, isn't it? And I guess it's a bit like a good marriage. So, a husband and wife, they, they can't say that they love each other in practice if they never listen to what each other say. No, he never listens to her, she never listens to him. I love you, but I don't listen to you. Well, that's, that's, that's not working, is it? Or else, if they, if they know full well what makes the other person happy, they listen and understand, and then do the total opposite. Well, well, that's not working, is it? That's not love. And so it is that we can't say we love Jesus unless we listen to what he says. And what with him being Lord and God, unless we actually do what he says, unless we follow what he says, because he does know us better than we know ourselves. He does love us when he speaks to us about the way we should go in life. And so in response, we want to please him. We want to bring joy to him in response to his love for us. That's the main thing. It's always the main thing. It's the biggest issue in your life and in my life and in the life of this church. It's a marker of whether we're a successful church is do we love Jesus? And if we do, everything else will flow from it. So restoration, refocus, and finally, recommissioning. Once Peter has had this re establishment, this refocus on love, he's ready to do something useful. And this is the recommissioning that Jesus builds into this session with Peter. Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. It's the second sort of out, outdoors metaphor that Jesus has used in this chapter. First, cha- first half of the chapter we looked at last week is about fishing and uh, that picture of catching people, bringing them into the kingdom. But here it's about uh, farming or shepherding. And it's clear what Jesus means by this if you look at his own uh, life. So Mark chapter 6, When Jesus went ashore, he saw a large crowd. He felt compassion for them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them, Many things. That's what Jesus means by this shepherding picture. It's about giving people spiritual food. The word of God. The, the job of a fisherman is done as soon as the catch is landed. The job of a shepherd is never done. Sheep need to be cared for. They need to be fed. Or else they'll go astray. They'll starve. They're not the cleverest animals. And we're not always the cleverest in the way we live our lives. And Jesus, as I mean, with his compassion goes all kinds of. There's healing. There's there's looking after people, but the priority through it all is is teaching the truth about God, so that others can know Him and receive from Him themselves. And so it is as we live our lives. Those two pictures, catching fish, uh, feeding sheep, they go hand in hand. If you think about people in your life, you you know, if you think about the average month, the average year the people that you you long for them to catch something of what you know of Jesus, that you long to pass that on to them. Well, you tell them once, well, you want to kind of keep helping them. Like a shepherd with sheep, you want to help them to keep understanding God and his love. And you want them to grow. You want to grow yourself. There's a sequence here, isn't it? Lambs, then, then sheep, different food, different stages. Lambs need milk, sheep needs good grass. It's the same for us. As people, so if we think about ourselves first, uh, I wonder what stage you're at. What what do you need at the moment? Do you need the basics still? And or I say still, you may be new to the basics. Do you need that level? Do you need the milk? Well, are you getting it? Or, or you may say, you know, the basics were a while ago for me. I should be onto the grass by now. And well, are you getting that? Are you getting the right? Food for you, good grass that's feeding you spiritually, the word of Jesus, making sense to you, chewing on it until it makes sense to you, asking questions until it makes sense. Think about it for your family, friends, colleagues. Are they getting spiritual food from you at the right level to help them know Jesus too? And so there's this progression here in what Jesus says. And the idea is that we start as lambs and become sheep, that we move on to maturity, and that we think about that as we think about church, that people will need different things, and so we make sure it's all there. Peter's got to think that about, uh, like that as an apostle, but all of us have got to think like that about church life. It's why we have age-specific groups for the youngsters. It's why we have a Christianity Explore group, as well as a Life group and other groups, the Things that will help us grow step-by-step at the right stage that we're at. Notice that um, people are not uh, sheep that belong to the disciples, but people are sheep that belong to Jesus. And the disciples are just called to do a job of being an under-shepherd, looking after others, passing on Jesus' words. That means that they're not supposed to pass on their own, uh, own opinions, which is very helpful for people doing my job. Uh, you shouldn't particularly know my opinion about this, that or the other. You should know what Jesus says from me. That's my job. Uh, most of the New Testament Let's start with something like Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. So even Simon Peter... He wasn't giving his own opinions. He was serving Jesus in writing letters to the church. It's why we're still reading them today. It's how Jesus means for his church to be taught over the years. They're his words, his teaching for us. And so you'll be pleased to know if you didn't already, this is not my church. You don't go to Steve Dival's church. You go to the same church as Steve Dival. You go to the church where Steve Dival is the vicar... But we go to the Church of Jesus Christ, or an outpost of it called St. Helens, together. We're all disciples under the Great Shepherd. And it means that I'm not the only person who should be doing the teaching. We should all be teaching one another. This should be like a kind of spiritual food bank in North Kensington. Yeah? Yeah? This should be somewhere that anyone can come in from the community and find spiritual food. They can find it from the sermon, they can find it from sitting next to you, because as they sit next to you, you say, how are you, what have you got going on in your life? Oh, well, I find this Bible verse really helps me when I'm going through what you're going through. And we teach and we we help each other. Well, are we doing that? Are we speaking about Jesus when we see each other? In the week when we see each other after the service, are we feeding each other Jesus' words? Or are we thinking, oh, well, you know, someone else can do that? The day we as a church stop catching fish and feeding sheep is the day, uh, is the day that we as a church will die, and that will be great news. Because unless a church is catching fish and feeding sheep, it's not a church. It's just a meeting. So how are we doing this morning? How are we doing? Let me uh, close with uh, thoughts under those three headings. It may be you feel this morning, you know, I need restoring. I'm a bit like a battered old piece of furniture. Needs to go to the furniture restorers. I'm not the Christian I you know, was or ought to be. I'm not the person I ought to be. Remember where we started with Peter, with Jesus, that uncomfortable questioning? We need to go to him and bring whatever it is, the sin, the failure, the the wrongdoing, bring it out into the light before him and receive his forgiveness afresh. He died for you. He's paid for you. He says, come home. So it may be that some need to respond by praying a prayer along the lines of please restore me Lord this morning. Others it may be refocusing that's needed. The pressure, the busyness, there's so much to do in life. It means that, oh gosh, our heads, our hearts are full of loads of other things and we've forgotten the simplicity of what really matters. Receiving the love of God and then passing it on in our lives to others. Mission successful, church successful, is when we're a church full of love, understanding God's love, and then living it out. So, are we doing that? Are we listening to what He says and following what He says in our lives? Or maybe you're thinking, "Yeah, yeah, yeah not every day, but on a good day, I've got those two things." Well, then, is it recommissioning? You need to hear Jesus saying to you, "Keep going to the end, like He said to Peter. Play your part." whatever it is that he's given you, to be a fisher of people, to be a shepherd who feeds others and helps them to know Jesus too. Whatever it is for you, let's have a few moments, just a couple of moments now, just to pray and respond, whatever it is for us personally.